Alrighty, hello again, everyone, and welcome to what it is, the Derek Hunter Show for the, what is it, the 21st day of September 2022. I believe it's the last day of summer, or the first, no, I think it's the last day of summer. I think the first day of spring is tomorrow. So, you know, put the shorts on, go out there to the pool one last time, or the beach, or whatever the hell it is you people do that involves water, and enjoy it, because it's over. Winter is coming. Anyway, appreciate you listening, downloading, sharing, telling a friend, all that good stuff. Action-packed program for you, as always. Don't forget, as always, appreciate people going to patreon.com slash Podcast or derekhunter.locals.com. Same content at both sites, but just depends on which portal you like better. Support the show, get extra content, get extra shows, get into the contests, get pictures of my kids, and all that good stuff. Check it out for the low, low price of five bucks a month. Although you're you're happy and welcome to uh, and help out even harder if you like. I uh, will appreciate it all the more. All right, let's get on with the show. There is a lot going on. It's one of those days where I'm sitting there going, "What do I start with? Where do I go? What do I?" I have very limited audio today. Yesterday was a heavy flow day for the audio. Today is much, much less. But uh, I think I want to start off with the the contradiction in the Biden administration. And then we'll get to, uh, no, no, you know what? Now with that, I'll go with this first because this cracks me up. Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, is allegedly being investigated by a sheriff down in Texas over the flying of migrants. I love how they call them. They're not migrants. Migrants migrate. They migrate with wherever the, uh, the work is, the weather is, the, uh, the herd is that they're hunting for food. That's what migrants do. They migrate constantly. The people coming across the southern border have no intent. They're not coming here to work temporarily, to do seasonal work and can't wait to get home. They're coming across the southern border in Record numbers by a lot is going to end up be be uh, to be more than by a half a million people. Um, they're coming here in record numbers to stay. They want to stay. Many of them, most of them, I would even venture, want to work. They don't want to be parasites, but they do, like sadly too many Americans, recognize that there is this really nice social safety net, in air quotes, because it's becoming a hammock, sitting there waiting for them should they fail. Now, in many states, a great many states, particularly Democrat-controlled states, they have social safety nets that are available to illegal aliens. You get housing assistance in California, for example. It's so wildly... This is liberalism in a nutshell. California. Make housing so expensive by what? By making it nearly impossible or at least cost prohibitive for most people to be able to build new housing, right? You got to have an environmental impact study. There's going to be every liberal group in the world has legal standing granted to them so they can sue at a moment's notice. So that doesn't matter. They can stop you if they don't like you. They can delay you. Actually, they can't stop you. This is what the left has learned, and this is why they need to be reined in. 
if you ever try to build anything in particularly a wildly progressive left-wing state, the uh, if you and your business in particular, they will sue you, and then they'll sue you again, and then they'll sue you again, and because our government is a bunch of idiots, they're given standing through the uh, the creation of the Environmental Protection Agency. In there, I believe it was it was under Nixon. I'm pretty sure. They granted environmental groups legal standing in cases of environmental imp- for dealing with environmental impact. You'd think, well, when it was done, they were thinking, well, if we deputize these people, these people care about the environment. So if you're going to open a factory that dumps mercury into the drinking water, we will uh, we can't monitor all of that, but all these other groups can. So we'll empower them. We'll give them standing. Normally, if you don't have standing. Uh, you don't have a case. What I mean by a base, very basic way, lawyers out there are going to be pulling their hair out because I'm sure this is going to be wildly simplified and technically right, but seemingly wrong. But to have standing, let's say you do have, uh, there is a company out there that exists to dump mercury in the drinking water, right? And it's, we'll put it in, in Baltimore, Maryland, and you live in Seattle, Washington, and you sue because somebody is dumping water in the drinking water, dumping mercury in the bay, drinking water uh, in Baltimore, Maryland. You would not be able to sue. You don't have any standing because you are not impacted by it. You're in Seattle, Washington, whereas somebody in Baltimore could sue because they have standing. They would be directly impacted by it. Well, the federal government gave standing automatically to environmental groups which means they can sue anybody anywhere over anything related to the environment. And they can just claim that it's related to the environment and they cannot be dismissed because they have no standing. The the federal government has granted them standing so they can tie things up forever. And it makes it really not impossible, but so incredibly difficult and uh, compliance. So cost prohibitive that mm, a lot of housing developments in California aren't happening. Costs a lot. You sit there and you go, well, the average price of a home is $1.3 million in Los Angeles County. Yeah. And those are for crappy homes, too. Poor people who own their own homes are doing okay. They probably get a, a house. They probably get a, a house that's worth a half million dollars. Might not be able to sell it because the police don't patrol those neighborhoods, thanks to the left, but that's beside the point. They have that value, but you can't really sell it and then move anywhere. Because houses in the neighborhood you want to live in are $2 million. Watch uh, Million Dollar Listing Los Angeles or any of the, uh, there's a lot of real estate shows about Los Angeles. The reason is the supply is so short. You watch some of these things and you're going, my God, that house is $5 million? It's a nice, it's a really nice house. Don't get me wrong. It's a really nice house. But in just about every other part of the country, it would maybe be a million-dollar house, maybe a million-and-a-half-dollar house. But in Los Angeles, forget it. It's just like if you look at a certain cities. You can do this on Zillow. You go to certain cities, and the house, based on square footage, a 2,000-square-foot house will be a uh, million dollars, and then another place, a 2,000-square-foot house, uh, house will be a half a million dollars. Location, location, location. Well, it's not just, wow, everybody wants to live in Los Angeles. It's that the supply, supplies of supply and demand apply to real estate as well. Anyway, we're getting way off on a tangent. 
But that is uh, the idea behind it. Anyway, Ron DeSantis's brilliant PR, they call it a publicity stunt. It's a PR coup. It's a coup. It exposed the left for the frauds that they are. The people of Martha's Vineyard are still recovering, still recovering from the invasion of the, the, the battle of Martha's Vineyard is engaged. They are still recovering from having 50 illegal aliens. Now, I love how the media is rolling up and saying, oh, these people are forever changed. These people are wonderful. Look at what happened. They, they came together over at Martha's Vineyard. They came together and they made uh, lemons out of lemonade. And you're sitting there and you're going, what the hell are you talking about? We made lemons from lemonade. Nothing could be further from the truth. But these are, you got to remember the uh, mainstream media, the left wing media is the PR wing of the Democratic Party. So you get this piece today from CNN. They enriched us. Migrants' 44-hour visit leaves indelible mark on Martha's Vineyard. <laughs> Are you kidding me? They enriched. Oh yes, they left an indelible mark that uh, the uh, the cleanup crew is busily trying to scrub off of it. After sharing hugs and teary goodbyes with roughly 50 migrants, what do you mean roughly? Count them. It's not like there's 10,000 of them. I've heard 48 or 50. It's not that hard to count. Bouncers at a door with a little clicker manage to make sure that those places, bars, clubs, whatever, don't go over the fire code limit. How is it that you can't count to 50? Right? These reporters go, well, at 10, I'm out of fingers, and at 20, I'm out of toes, and then at 21, I'm completely naked, and I don't know how to count after higher than that. Are they that dumb? I don't answer that. They probably are. But after sharing hugs and teary goodbyes, I love it. They gave them hugs and teary goodbyes. At the goodbyes, they gave them hugs. All right, the National Guard is here. We're getting you uh, over to a military base on the... Get the hell out of here. Oh, yeah, thank you for coming. Great, great. Cameras are here. I'll give you a hug. Here's a a pop quiz for the residents, uh, the tolerant residents who had an indelible mark left on them in Martha's Vineyard. Give me the name of one of these illegal aliens. What? Uh, One of them was bound to be named Pedro, right? please. Uh, After sharing hugs and teary goodbyes with roughly 50 migrants who had arrived unexpectedly by plane on this affluent vacation island, the volunteers who sheltered them at an Episcopal church carried out tables and chairs, packed food into trucks, and folded portable cots. I love that. They, uh, They housed them. Not at their houses. They put them in a church. Yeah, no, no, no. We're, we're not going to... We It's Martha's Vineyard. How how many people you think go to the church on a regular basis? Two? A familiar quiet had descended by Friday afternoon, and it was a weekday, which, you know, not a lot going on in that church. A familiar quiet had descended by Friday afternoon on the tree-lined downtown block of Martha's Vineyard, where Jackie Starling, 56, could not stop thinking about a young Venezuelan... She was 23, but looked 15. She may have been 15. No proof. You just have that person's word. Who sat with her in the St. Andrew's Parish House the night before. 
The asylum seekers showed Stalling's cell phone video taken during the journey across the remote central jungle, pointing out migrants who died along the way. Those migrants who died along the way, by the way, have all of their blood on the hands of Joe Biden. Uh, had he not instituted a policy that encouraged everybody to play Red Rover, if you are south of the border, they would not have been marching along the way with human smugglers who, when they die, go, oh, well, that's a shame. Or when they get sick and collapse, they go, eh, step over them. So that blood is undoubtedly on the hands of Joe Biden because they would not be making the trip without him. But they don't care. They don't. Jackie will still write a check to Joe Biden, I promise you. Quote, it was like she was showing me cat videos, but it was actually their journey and what they endured to get here. <laughs> I love it. This is a, a typical liberal, middle-aged Karen left-winger going, oh, this is just like watching cat videos. Uh, it's a video of illegal aliens on their journey to the United States dying. But it's just like watching a cat video. Isn't it cute the way she filmed this? We also might want to ask this illegal alien, who they don't seem to name, that uh, why don't you stop? If you're, if you're filming somebody dropping over, why don't you stop? Because I don't think that the people making the two to 3,000-mile walk up Mexico are in their 90s, right? They're not like, well, that's just, it's just time. It's just time for them. Now, I assume they're relatively young, and they're getting sick because the care of the coyotes is not particularly good. But no, we're just going to film it. Moving on. And it's like just showing me a cat video. Quote, the heartbreaking part is seeing beautiful young ladies become desensitized. Her husband, Lark, Larkin Stallings, 66, an Oak Bluffs bar owner who sits on the nonprofit board. For them, they just flip and show you a picture. Wait, wait. Maybe that's part of the problem. Stallings cut him off. Quote, she was like, look, this one died, part of their original party, and he died and this one died. And the mud is like up to here on them. And you see them, they literally have to lift their legs out of mud. They die because they get stuck. Die because they get stuck in mud? You can't get somebody out of mud? I'm pretty sure somebody stuck in mud I could get out of mud, either by myself or with other people. I'm pretty sure you could do that. But no, they don't. And this is, this is by the way, this is basically PR for these people. This is, this is them trying to polish the turd. We'll get to the DeSantis thing in a second, but I just this story cracks me up. That Like, oh, they're forever changed. They're forever changed. No, they're not. They're still, they're back to where they were. They're detached leftists who view human tragedy and suffering by poor people through, well, it used to be the television. Now it's on the phone. And they once had an interaction with them. It's like I go to the zoo all the, we went to the zoo when we went and visited my dad and we were able to pet a kangaroo. Okay, that's how it is with these people. I, I've always seen kangaroos at the zoo. I've seen kangaroos on TV, but I've never touched a kangaroo before. Now I've touched a kangaroo. They've seen illegal aliens. They've heard the stories. Now they've, they've actually spoken with an illegal alien. And then they quickly got them the hell off their island. F biggest frauds I've ever seen in my life.
So this this Politico story is just hilarious, hilarious. During their 44-hour visit this week, I love it's a visit. The CNN story is so, it's written by a guy named Ray Sanchez. I don't know who Ray Sanchez is, but I suspect that Ray Sanchez is very deeply into identity politics. During their whirlwind 44-hour visit this week, migrants like the young Venezuelan woman, notice how they don't have anybody's name. The woman, oh, she spent time showing me videos and it was wonderful. Okay, you said, did you catch her name at all, ma'am? Did you? Did you ever bridge the the language barrier or did you just sit next to her for a photo op for your Facebook status and uh, she showed you her phone? Did you, Were you able to communicate with her at all or no? No, probably not. You didn't bother to learn her name. Their names aren't important. Way more important symbolism is symbolism is way more important than names. Uh, let's say the young Venezuelan woman left an indelible mark on their accidental hosts in this isolated enclave known as a summer playground for former U.S. presidents, celebrities, and billionaires. Yes, an indelible mark that they are currently having their uh, cleaning crews scrub completely, so that next year they uh, have no trace of them whatsoever. The guests, including young children. I love it. The guests. They're just guests. Uh, guests. The guests that were invited to leave. Oh, we're so happy to have you get out of here. <laughs> the guests, including young children, boarded buses Friday morning around the corner from St. Andrew's Episcopal Church. Days of uncertainty on the small island off the coast of Massachusetts and a massive effort by locals to provide for them ended with a new odyssey a ferry ride, and then another bus caravan to temporary housing at Joint Base Cape Cod. <laughs> now, to make it sound like, oh, these people scrambled. The island came together to quickly scramble together the uh, infrastructure needed to house these sweet, sweet, nourishing illegal aliens. Well, if you had set it up, if you managed to, if this is a triumphant story of how the people of Martha's Vineyard came together so quickly to be able to do this, Why'd they kick him off the island? Like, oh, we, we've built you temporary house. We've got you. You're sheltered now, and we've got food. We did all, Now get out. Get out, please. What do you mean, get out? You just set up. Just get out. We didn't really want you here. This was for show. All they really did was put up a few cots and make some, like, mastacholi. And that's it. You go to, uh, here's a whole pile of spaghetti. Eat it. Now get out. Get the hell out of here. We're going to miss you. We could stay. No, no, no. Then we wouldn't be able to miss you. <laughs> if you stuck around, we would not be able to get out. Get them out of here, please. <laughs> the asylum seekers, most of them from Venezuela, had been flown to Texas uh, to Martha's Vineyard on Wednesday under arrangements made by Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Part of a series of moves by Republican governors to transport migrants to liberal cities to protest what they describe as the failure of the federal government to secure the southern border. Two point almost two million arrests at the southern border this fiscal year alone. The old record was one point seven million, which was set last year, by the way, by this same administration. But uh, no, no, no. It's what Republicans say is a failure. That's what they describe as a failure to secure the southern border. Who, aside from Kamala Harris, 
would describe the southern border, uh, oh, excuse me, and Karine Jean-Pierre, who's totally historic. Who would describe the southern border as secure? Other than that, you've got the population of like uh, St. Louis and Chicago and Seattle combined coming across the southern border. And you're going, hey, uh, no, 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 that's Republicans say that uh, the southern border is not secure. Get those damn, those damned Republicans just uh, looking at things and going, uh, factually, this is incorrect. Or, the population of San Francisco, by the way, 874,000 people. Three times the population of San Francisco have been caught coming across the southern border this year alone. Three times the population of San Francisco, yet we have what? We have at least a million getaways. So that's way more than the, let's see, what is the population of Chicago now? I know it's hemorrhaged a lot. So I'm just curious, Chicago population. Yeah, 2.699 million, according to the 2020 census. That means that thanks to Joe Biden, the population of Chicago has come across the southern, actually more than the population of Chicago has come across the southern border when you factor in getaways. Now, we're not done. We still have one more month in the fiscal year, so there's a good chance that the arrest numbers could be higher than the population of the city of Chicago. But it's already more than the city of Chicago with the number of getaways. And CNN is going, well, that's what Republicans describe as a failure to secure the southern border. Martha's Vineyard had not been expecting them, but a small army of activists mobilized to help people who had become pawns in the contentious debate over America's broken immigration system. I love how these people act as though making food for 50 people. Is it convenient? No. But for most of the people on Martha's Vineyard, it's a matter of them calling their, uh, their, their cleaning crew and saying, hey, Boil some water, we're going to make some spaghetti. DeSantis's move was sharply denounced by the White House, Democratic officials, and immigration lawyers who vowed legal action on grounds they said the migrants were lured north with promises of work, housing, and help with immigration papers and ultimately misled about their final destination. If these people are so stupid as to just hop on any plane anybody puts in front of them, um, maybe they're not the geniuses and the real key to a strong economy that Democrats are insisting they are. What's funny is, according to the governor, DeSantis, they all signed waivers. They all read and knew exactly where they were going. So are these left-wing activists pulling their uh, white savior complexes out of their bags? out of their clan hoods? Yes, they are. Oh, these brown people, they didn't really... Yes, they had it described to them where they were going. And yes, they had a map of where they were going. And yes, they signed a waiver saying they wanted to go there. But they didn't know where they were going. They're too stupid. Not a, We need to protect brown people. Don't you understand that brown people are dumb? <laughs> Ah, Democrats. And now, of course, Democrats are trying to criminalize this. They want to get DeSantis. They've been floating this idea since it happened. It's human trafficking. He's he's engaging in human trafficking. So Politico today. 
A Texas sheriff on Monday opened an investigation into the legality of Governor Ron DeSantis' recent move to fly dozens of mostly Venezuelan migrants to Martha's Vineyard. Bexar County Sheriff Javier Salazar, an elected Democrat, ooh, hmm, said that while he could not cite specific laws that may have been broken by relocating the migrants, his office will be investigating what he called, quote, an abuse of human rights, end quote. Oh, what laws did he break? We don't know. Well, we'll just make one up. Who gives a damn? This is the left-wing mindset. We'll just investigate. We'll see. We'll try and screw them over. We'll try and get them. We must destroy them. (laughs) In another story from KSAT, down in Texas, Salazar said that he has persons of interest in the case but wouldn't name any specific subjects yet. He also didn't know what specific crimes were committed. I don't know. You show me the man, I'll show you the crime. I believe that's what Comrade Joseph Stalin once said. So it's good to see that progressive Democrats are returning to their roots where they forever shall be. These people, I'd say they're idiots, but they're actually evil. They're obviously evil. Let's just be honest about that. Let's uh, let's shift it up a little bit because I, I love this. I love this freak out. I love the fact that these leftists are out there trying to uh, walk back Joe Biden. They have to walk back Joe Biden constantly, but they also have to acknowledge their, or try to pretend that, no, 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 he doesn't need to be walked back. Why, he knows exactly what he's doing. My God, Joe Biden is as smart as a whip. Just listen to the man speak. Watch him as he said, watch me. Just watch me. Watch me now. Get up with my bad self. Well, the uh, in addition to walking back the idea that the uh, that we're ready to go to war with China should they invade Taiwan, which staff did immediately, and you heard Scott Pelley in the voiceover. Staff, White House staff told us they had not changed policy. Uh, the president just articulated a policy change. He said it twice. They also are starting to walk back in panic about the pandemic being over. Remember when Joe Biden said the pandemic was over? The scene was they're walking through the uh, Detroit International Auto Show. I believe it's still down at uh, Cobo. I don't know if Cobo Hall still exists. Maybe if it is. Anyway, that's where it used to be. Uh, Down at Cobo Hall in Detroit. And, um, well... Joe Biden let the cat out. Look, the pandemic's basically over. Look, nobody's wearing a mask. In fact, uh, listen to Joe make that very, very case. Mr. President, first Detroit auto show in three years. Yeah. Is the pandemic over? The pandemic is over. We still have a problem with COVID. We're still doing a lot of work on it. Uh, it's But the pandemic is over. If you notice, no one's wearing masks. Everybody seems to be in pretty good shape. And so I think it's changing, and I think this is a perfect example of it. Pandemic's over, baby. Party time. The pandemic is over. Well, see, that screws up a lot of things that Democrats want to do, including the student loan, quote-unquote, forgiveness, which was predicated upon the president's powers during a pandemic. If the pandemic's over, now suddenly what's the justification for it? They're recognizing this all across the liberal world landscape. 
So the editorial board of the Washington Post got together and they came up with an editorial. No, President Biden, the pandemic is not over. Now, who's president? Is it the editorial board of the Jeff Bezos owned Washington Post or is it Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. or the third or whatever the hell he is? I don't know. I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. They write, the pandemic is over is surely what everyone wanted to hear. President Biden made the declaration in a Sunday 60 Minutes broadcast. But before rushing out to the ticker tape parade, sit down. The pandemic is still raging. In the sense that a dangerous virus infecting, sickening, and killing killing people, mutating to survive, and haunting the globe. Oh, now wait a second. are you calling the president of the United States a liar, editorial board of the Washington Post? How dare how dare you? Why, if I had an empty glove, I would smack you across the face with it and challenge you to a duel. How dare you? Except that it's true. Now, you got to love the liberal intelligentsia. They recognize not that they're concerned for human life. They're not concerned for human life. They're not wearing masks. They're not rocking anything. They don't give a damn. Jeff Bezos himself went to a party that thrown by Anna of Wintour the other day without wearing a mask with his girlfriend and Leonardo DiCaprio was there and Hugh Jackman. It seemed like the social event of the season, quite frankly. And they weren't wearing masks. Why? Because the pandemic is over. The pandemic never really impacted rich people. Didn't you understand that? But they need it. It is a convenient, necessary, vital piece of propaganda to push forward against these leftists or again to push forward with their agenda. And that's where the problem falls off. The Washington Post also has to see they do two pronged approaches over there on the left. In addition to the editorial board saying, no, 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 no. The pandemic is still raging. Stay in your houses. Be afraid. Be very afraid. We need to vote by mail. Vote for Democrats by mail, by the way. They also wrote this one in their health section. Biden's claim that, quote, pandemic is over complicates efforts to secure funding. (gasps) Now, the subheadline is dead giveaway that they acknowledge I was going to say they think, but they they recognize as well that Joe Biden is an idiot. The subheadline is impromptu remarks on 60 minutes come as officials struggle to secure new funding for coronavirus vaccines, tests and treatments. Not the tests and treatments and things like that. Look, if you come up with a cure for it or a treatment, you'll find the funding. Actually, you'll you'll the, the government will write a blank check to you. Just look what they're doing to Pfizer and Moderna. But the part impromptu remarks on 60 Minutes, meaning, you know, what? well, first of all, it's an interview. Is the rest of the interview, was it scripted? Is that what they're trying to say? And actually, that, that's entirely possible. But I just love the idea that the implication, it's impromptu. He, was, he wasn't prepared. For, he wasn't prepared for a question about the pandemic. He really wasn't prepared. What was he prepared for? Because he sort of pooped the bed when it came to a question about uh, immigra- immigration or, I mean, inflation. He uh, he really soiled the sheets when it came to a question about China. In fact, there really wasn't anything he got particularly right. He regurgitated talking points when talking about those evil Republicans. Oh, I don't understand why nobody's getting along in Washington. It was different back in my day. But now those evil Republicans who want to kill you, they just won't bow to my wishes. Like, huh, gee, why wouldn't anybody unite behind that? 
That seems to be the only thing that hasn't had to been walked back or clarified. But you know, impromptu, impromptu reminds. Look, Joe Biden was speaking off the cuff. He screwed up. It's not like when he referred to the Secretary of Defense as that black general. No, it's not like that. It's not like when he, he referred to because he couldn't remember his name. Not like he referred to uh, Javier Becerra, a guy, my good friend, when he nominated him to be Secretary of HHS. But when he read it, is Javier Bacaria. No, it's not like that. Not like that at all. This is different. This was impromptu. It wasn't a, just a gaffe. Said president. This is the story. President Biden's surprise declaration that the coronavirus pandemic is over has thrown a wrench into the White House's efforts to secure additional funding to fight the virus and persuade Americans to get a new booster shot while fueling more Republican criticism about why the administration continues to extend a covid emergency. As those damned Republicans. Now, if the if the president is declaring the pandemic to be over, should not every member of Congress have a little bit of a question about why the president still is exercising emergency powers related to a COVID emergency he said is over? Should should they just question it just a little bit? No, they don't. They obey. Just like when Barack Obama was president. Remember, all the Democrats, it was so many Democrats in the House and in the Senate. What did they do on immigration with the DACA, the sweet, sweet, nourishing dreamer kids? Now, the president had said repeatedly, I don't have the authority. It's illegal. It's unconstitutional. I don't have the authority to create this program. And uh, he did it anyway, eventually. But before he did that, Democrats in Congress were begging him to do it. Please, Mr. President, do it. Do it. Act. If we won't act, you must act. Congress is under no obligation to act. And actually, Congress choosing not to act is Congress making a choice. It is Congress acting. But members of Congress, members of that legislative body, begged the President of the United States to usurp their power and legislate all by himself. To which you have to ask, why the hell would anybody vote for a Democrat if especially when there's a Democrat president, why would anybody vote for a Democrat if they cede all their power to the executive branch? What are they doing aside from collecting checks and trying to sleep with young staffers? What do they do all day? Not much, not much regularly either, but that's beside the point. At least they have some role in the legislative process. If they cede that to the president's magic pen, they don't even bring that to the table. So there's no point in even having a table. Biden's comments, which aired on Sunday on 60 Minutes, reflect growing public sentiment that the threat of the virus has receded, even as hundreds of Americans continue to die of COVID each day. 46% of Americans have returned to their pre-pandemic lives, according to an Axios-Ipsos poll released last week, the highest share of respondents to answer that way since the pollsters began asking the question in January 2021. Who are these other people who haven't returned to normal? What Are you, are you just sitting on a huge pile of money you can sit around and not, not return to normal? Even if you're reluctant, you want to wear a mask and a face shield till I die. Okay, you still got to like leave the house, don't you? 
Quote, we still have problems with COVID, but we're doing a lot to work on it. But the pandemic is over. The pandemic is over, said the president. While they're doing damage control, not just in the pages of the Washington Post, the White House has dispatched Vivek Murtha, Murthy, sorry, the Surgeon General of the United States. He went on Morning Joe, or maybe it was the early version of Morning Joe. It's hard to say. They make Willie Geist host the early version, and then they make him stick around and and host the other version while Joe and Mika, I don't know, attend key parties or something, whatever the hell it is that they do. If you don't know what a key party is, you won't get that joke, and I probably wouldn't suggest you Google what that is. Something from the 70s, uh, before my time, but uh, still kind of a funny joke. (laughs) Anyway... The Surgeon General of the United States wants to make clear that the Surgeon General works for the President of the United States. There is, it's one thing to have, and this tells you how far gone Joe is, it's one thing to have anonymous White House sources go, we're not really out of the pandemic. President, we're not really going to war with China necessarily. Nothing's changed. Don't worry about it. And whispering all these sweet nothings to press anonymously, do it anonymously, don't say anything. I don't want to be known. I'll get screwed. I'll get fired. I'll get this. I'll get that. It's another thing that Ron Klain, and make no mistake, Ron Klain is the reason that Vivek Murthy is on Morning Joe. He, he either pushed it or approved it. Uh, Ron Klain, the president's chief of staff, is out there saying, no, no, go. Somebody go out there and calm this down. And it goes back to this post, Washington Post story. We're needing it to secure funding. At which, At some point... How many trillions is enough? You kind of do have to wonder. How many trillions is enough? How many billions to Pfizer do you have to to give them ahead of time? There's, there has to be an answer. Maybe we can get to that. But no, the answer is always, with leftists, it's always more when dealing with other people's money. So listen to the Surgeon General walk back the President of the United States. Two very different views there of the state of the pandemic. Is the pandemic over? Well, Willie, it's good to see you as well. I actually don't think they're all that different. What the president's reflecting is the fact that we've made tremendous progress against COVID-19. We're in a very different place now than we were at the beginning of this pandemic with significantly lower death rates. We have all of our children back in school. We have people able to go back to work, families and friends able to see each other. But he also said, you know, we have more work to do on COVID, and that's right. And that's what Dr. Fauci and others have expressed as well. Uh, You know, we're losing about 400 people a day on average for this virus. We need to get that number lower. We have people who are struggling with long COVID. We need to understand more about long COVID and how to prevent it. And we also, thankfully, have a new updated vaccine uh, that's available that can extend people's protection, strengthen their protection against the worst outcomes of COVID. We need people to take that vaccine. So there is more work to do, no doubt. But we are in a much better place uh, than we were at the beginning of this pandemic. Well, of course, that goes without saying. And I I mean, people effectively are treating it like it's over. (laughs) I love that. We're much better off than we were at the start. Oh, really? Yeah, uh, if we were much worse than we were at the start, we'd really be screwed. But of course you're much better. There's the Surgeon General walking back what the president said. Now, it's not often that they put a face on it. Back in May, May 24th, 2022, Washington Post. Speaking Monday, this is uh, the White House keeps walking back Biden's remarks. Biden's team was quick to claim the administration policy had not changed, blah, blah, blah. It goes on to talk about how the president is a gaffe machine, but he is still wildly upset 
about all the walking back of his comments because it makes him look as though he does not have control over the way what he says and it makes him look as though he does not have the mental capacity to be president of the United States you got to love it you absolutely have to they're still doing it they're still doing it but the, the president hates it and the president has the power to fire these people for doing it to him and he hasn't fired anybody, which makes you wonder, is the president of the United States aware that people are walking him back on everything? Or are his handlers keeping him in the dark? Or is he just too stupid to know? It, probably a little from column A, a little from column B, and a little from column C. Anyway, I want, you know, um, now that the queen has been laid to rest, we're still getting... I. It's weird watching the British media and the, the, the royal funeral... I don't know who these people are. I almost feel bad for them that they have this job. But there are people apparently on the payroll of British media who track down, their job is to track down every piece of jewelry anybody in the royal family wears, particularly Kate Middleton. And they go, oh, she's wearing a bracelet. Try and find a photo if they see whose bracelet that is. And they go, oh, it's it's very similar to a bracelet the Queen wore a bunch of years ago. They'd get a picture of that, or Princess Diana once wore that brooch. And constantly they're just going, oh, here's a, she's paying a tribute to so-and-so by wearing this piece of jewelry. Maybe she's just grabbed it, you know? Maybe, I don't know. I Maybe they do pay that much attention to it in the royal family. They sit around and they go, you're going to a, a thing that is similar to this, wear a piece of jewelry that was worn by the person who did this beforehand. I'd feel sad for anybody whose job that is, but then I feel sad for anybody whose job it is to spot that as well. Anyway, in the, under the guise of the royal family, I have some um, audio here from CNN. Don Lemon is on the verge of losing his television show. Some point, I believe, I believe it's this fall at some point. The incoming new president of CNN has decreed that they're taking the look. Their primetime lineup is not doing well. Actually, none of their lineup is doing well. And so they are trying to shift it up. Now, I'm not really sure who the genius is over at CNN who convinced upper management that, hey, you know what? We have a whole bunch of people that nobody likes. But if we mix up the order in which we serve up these people, that should make all the difference in the world. I don't know who that person is. I feel as though they could sell finger food to a proctologist during a latex shortage. Honestly, they have to be just incredible at sales to be able to do that. They go, you know what? We take what doesn't work and then we move it around a little bit and then it'll work, right? I mean, how could, how could that not work? <laughs> well, I can think of many reasons why that wouldn't work. That's like going, yes, our baseball team sucks. Nobody's hitting above 250. And uh, we, we haven't won a game this season. But if we sort of put all the names in a hat and we make the lineup that way, that clearly is going to give us a different result, right? No. No, but you go ahead and do, at this, at some point, the season is lost, you know, and you just go, well, I mean, what else have we got to do? It, we can't there's nothing else to do we we brought up all the kids from the minor league teams to at september expansion time and that roster still sucks so yeah go ahead and go for it whatever a television station doesn't have seasons they are constant so taking the same i get it don lemon has a contract 
And Don Lemon the other day said that he has a contract for this specific show and this specific time slot, meaning his his nighttime show. And he agreed to do this. Now, I don't know the details. I would just speculate. I would say Don Lemon does have a time a, a contract. It's probably got another year on it. They don't do like 10-year deals generally, long-term deals and cable news. But it probably has another year left in it, maybe another two years left on it, and it's for that specific time. But there are always outs. Major corporations would give themselves some kind of out, even if it's just, all right, we have to pay you uh, pay you the rest of it or pay you 75% of it if we let you go under 90 days notice or whatever. There's some kind of out, I promise you. Plus, Don Lemon was like sued for sexual harassment and stuff. There's, there's ways out. There's always ways out. Good lawyers will give you ways out. So um, he's right in that. But if his contract is, say, a year, he could have said when they came to him and said, Don, we'd like to move you to mornings. If he had good representation or he had, uh, well, he doesn't have a brain, but if he were smart, he'd say, I'll happily do that in exchange for extending that contract for a year or two. You want to keep the money train rolling in. You could get a quick payout, even if you're paid out for the length of your contract, that's it. If you've got a year left in it, that's it. But if you can get another year or two extension on top of it by shifting, by playing ball, then you've just made yourself millions more. So that's how you do it. So Don is moving to mornings, and you're going to see this sort of scintillating analysis in the mornings with two other people that are not particularly popular with audiences at CNN. But the uh, last night, Don Lemon had on a royal watcher. I love the. Uh, you imagine having this job? Forget they are probably the ones spotting the jewelry. There are royal watchers. Every time there's a wedding or a funeral involving the British royal family, these people it's their heyday. They're like in case of emergency, break glass. They live in these containers. A royal watcher, come on, tell us uh, what Fergie's been up to. Oh, Fergie has been this, that, and the other thing. And he's talking to a woman named Hillary Fordwich, which is one word, Fordwich, like sandwich, but with a with a Ford, with a Mustang. And I think that's a very British British name. And yes, it is. She's very British. And she talked, Don Lemon, there's this obsession on the left, particularly I've seen it in MSNBC, where they they want to seem to one-up one another in their bad-mouthing of colonialism and their self-flagellation when it comes to re-denouncing slavery. Oh, slavery is just an evil. There's slavery going on today. China is engaging in slavery. Uh, Sudan, Libya, lots of places throughout Africa. Don't say anything to any liberal, though. Their mind will be blown. And their mind will be blown by this audio, too. But they act as though it was just evil whitey. Slavery only existed in the United States, and it was brought here by Great Britain. And they fought wars to make sure that slavery continued and they would love to continue slavery to this day is the narrative of the left. Nothing could be further from the truth, but the truth doesn't help a Democrat, so they ignore it. Well, Don Lemon comes from that school of thought, if you can, that insulated bubble. And you can tell that the air is getting pretty thin in that hermetically sealed bubble because Hillary Ford, which takes him to school, on slavery and Don, I recommend I've retweeted this thing. I recommend you find this video. 
because Don Lemon's face is priceless. He 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 doesn't have an answer. You can tell it's not what he was expecting. You can tell that this royal commentator, Hillary Ford, which knows what the hell she's talking about because it's just true. And Don doesn't. Don knows the progressive talking points. And there's no comeback for a progressive to the truth. This is why the left doesn't engage in debates. This is why so many of the Democratic candidates for governors and for Senate across the country are hemming and hawing and dragging their feet about debating Republicans. They don't want to get up there and be called out on their BS. This is why Frank and Fetterman up in Pennsylvania has only agreed to one debate two weeks after early voting started and only for an hour, even though he needs special accommodation to have everything transcribed for him, he wouldn't extend it by a half an hour. He wouldn't make it an hour and a half debate, even though he's got to read everything, allegedly because he has hearing issues from his stroke. No, no, no. We're going to slow down the debate. They'll maybe get five questions in because Frank and Fetterman up there, Fester, running for Senate, won't be able to speak fast enough. They're hiding. They don't know how to respond to facts being not thrown in their faces, just simply shown to them. And it's personified in this clip by Don Lemon getting schooled on slavery and where the slave trade started and who was responsible for it and who was opposed to it and the idea of reparations. It's a beautiful thing. I don't know who Hillary Fordwich is, but uh, she's my hero this week. Well, this is coming when, you know, this, all of this wealth and you hear about it comes as England is facing rising costs of living, a living crisis, austerity budget cuts and so on. And then you have those who are asking uh, for reparations for colonialism. And they're wondering, you know, $100 billion, $24 billion here and there, $500 million there. Some people want to be paid back and, uh, and members of the public are wondering, why are we suffering when you are... You know, you have all of this vast wealth. Those are legitimate concerns. Well, I think you're right about reparations in terms of if people want it, though, what they need to do is you always need to go back to the beginning of a supply chain. Where was the beginning of the supply chain? That was in Africa. And when across the entire world, when slavery was taking place, which was the first nation in the world that abolished slavery? The first nation in the world to abolish it. It was started by William Wilberforce, was the British. In, in Great Britain, they abolished slavery. 2,000 naval men died on the high seas trying to stop slavery. Why? Because the African kings were rounding up their own people. They had them on cages waiting in the beaches. No one was running into Africa to get them. And I think you're totally right. If reparations need to be paid, we need to go right back to the beginning of that supply chain and say, who was rounding up their own people and having them handcuffed in cages? Absolutely. That's where they should start. And maybe, I don't know, the descendants of those families where they died at the, in the high seas trying to stop the slavery, that those families should receive something too, I think, at the same time. It's an interesting discussion, Hillary. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. We'll continue to, to discuss in the future. No, you won't, Don. You're never going to bring this up again. And certainly not with Hillary. Certainly not with anybody who would even run the risk of agreeing with Hillary. See, you, you, lawyers, sadly, uh, lawyers in court, they know you never ask a question you don't know the answer to. Sadly, journalism is becoming that way. That's what happens when you ask a question you don't know the answer to. You just assume, look, she's uh, she's on CNN. She's probably a fellow traveler. She's down with the cause. Let's do this. And no, she actually knows her history. 
She knows her history. And Don, Don didn't. And Don didn't know what she was going to say. And he had no response, nothing. Just was, all right, well, then there you go. What are you going to do? We'll definitely talk about this more in the future. Not with you. We'll find uh, a whole bunch of liberal professors who will go, yes, yes, the UK, US, boy, they suck. They're responsible for all the slavery in the world. Not somebody who's going to point out that it started in Africa. No. And it's kind of funny. The uh, Right now, the number one movie in America, it didn't make a lot of money. They're putting out crap movies that aren't making a lot of money. But even like if you're the number one movie at the box office, you say, we're the number one movie at the box office. Like, yeah, you, you made uh, next to no money. Yeah, but we made more than anybody else. It's not about being the fastest of all time in a foot race. It's about being the fastest in that foot race. And every single weekend at the box office is a new foot race. So if you're number one, it doesn't matter if you made $10 million or $100 million. You're still number one, right? Uh, the movie The uh, the Woman King. Now, it's currently, it is wildly popular amongst the uh, the left-wing critics. And you can tell this is um, this is how always always these movies have glowing glowing reviews going. Oh my God, this is absolutely just amazing. This is a great. And you go, it's it's Moonlight. It's about some trans dude that nobody knows. No, it's wonderful. It's one, nobody wants to see it. Nobody cares. The critics score and the disconnect between the critics score generally and the audience score could not be greater. In many of these cases. Now, the very few people going to see The Woman King uh, have it about the same, where it's in the high 90s going, oh, it's just so wonderful. It's just so wonderful. Um, Because nobody's going to see it. But The Woman King is about a tribe in Africa led by a woman in the uh, 1800s, the early 1800s, the early 19th century. That, uh, you know, it's portrayed, if you watch the the trailers, oh my goodness, these women, they're fighting for justice. They're fighting for freedom. They're fighting for, no, they they actually made their fortune in the slave trade. There was, there really, this tribe really did exist. They were led by women. They did rule a kingdom called Dahomey. And they made a fortune. They were a very wealthy tribe because of the slave trade that they enforced that they imposed, that they enforced. That's what they did. That's what Hillary Fordwich was talking about there in general concept. But the movie is about how wonderful they are and how they're fighting colonialism. It is portrayed as a historical docudrama, but they sold slaves. They sold black Africans. They went out and caught people minding their own business. They combed the African countryside to take people to sell into slavery. That was what they did. That was how they made their fortune. They perpetuated the slave trade. Yes, they sold it to evil whitey, uh, but not the UK. And they were not shipped to the US, but they went out and did it. There were a lot of countries, not the UK and not the US, that still engaged in the slave trade. They're going to use Spain for a very long time. And so all of this is ignored in this movie. Because the agenda is, look at these powerful black women standing up to these white people. When in reality, at the time, it was those powerful black women working hand in hand with those evil white people to enslave other black people. You think Don Lemon will have a discussion about that? Will he have Hillary Fordwich back on CNN to discuss this? Uh, No, 
No, he won't. Couldn't do that. Because why? Because that's a little bit too much like work. That's a little bit too much like honest journalism. That's a little bit too much like truth. And they ain't going to do that. I'm just looking up the uh, Rotten Tomatoes score from the critics. This will tell you because the critics love, love, love these kinds of movies. Moonlight. Oh, it's about a trans uh, black child. Okay, 98% positive reviews from the critics. 79% positive reviews from the audience who actually saw it. That's pretty low because to watch the movie, you have to consciously decide to go watch the movie. 79% of the people who consciously went to see the movie, probably based on the 98% of positive reviews, said, okay, yeah, that's fine. But 21% said, no, this sucks. Why did I come and see this movie? Well, because the critics will love it or the critics will hate it based on the politics of it without concern for merit. Just like liberals love concepts regardless of the reality behind them, regardless of the truth, regardless of their merits. I fear we shall never see Hillary Ford, which on television, maybe on Fox, but we'll never see her on CNN again. We sure as hell won't see her, no matter what happens in the royal family. Harry and, uh, what's his face, uh, William could get into a knife fight right on the front lawn of Buckingham Palace and Hillary Ford, which would be the only royal watcher left, and they'll go, you know what, I'll just wing it on my own. We're not going to have her back on. Uh, journalism. Oh, by the way, I forgot to mention this earlier. There is a response to the idea that um, the sheriff in Texas, general Democrats, are calling for an investigation into... Ron DeSantis, he, he's uh, officially responded. Great statement. Immigrants have been more than willing to leave Bexar County after being abandoned, homeless, and left to fend for themselves. Florida gave them an opportunity to seek greener pastures in a sanctuary jurisdiction that offered greater resources for them as we expected. Unless the Massachusetts National Guard has abandoned these individuals, they have been provided accommodations, sustenance, clothing, and more options to succeed following their unfair enticement into the United States. Unlike the 53 immigrants who died in a truck found abandoned in Bexar County this June. That is just straight up uh, aerial strifing. (laughs) Just a just destruction of the uh, left-wing Democrat sheriff who says, we're going to launch an investigation into the 3D to find out what the heck is going on. Why the... Yeah, hey, uh, here's an idea. Why don't you watch yourself? Why don't you worry about yourself? Why don't you worry about those sorts of things? Uh, by the way, yesterday, uh, this guy out of, out of Can- uh, Canada, his name is Eric Alper. He absolutely loves, loves, loves music. He, if you're at all interested in music, in all forms, I don't know if he's, he's never heard him say, boy, I hate the ukulele. But he he knows and loves music. He's a lefty on things pol- political, but he doesn't necessarily weigh in on politics all that often. He tweeted out yesterday that, uh, quote, 37 years ago today, the Parents Music Resource Center, the PMRC, uh, at a United States Senate hearing on music censorship. They began in Washington, D.C. 37 years ago yesterday. Dee Snyder, a twisted sister, Frank Zappa, and John Denver testified against them. 
Now, the the left, they'd actually probably <clears throat> have a different version of the PMRC. But lost to history, because this sort of, be- the belief in this of censorship of music and everything is always ascribed to the right. It always The co-founder, I believe, of the PMRC, she was certainly one of the high-ranking leaders of the PMRC, was none other than Tipper Gore, Al Gore's wife. Yes, she co-founded the uh, PMRC. They forgot. It's funny because Democrats expressed outrage 37 years ago. Oh, the PMRC, they don't get what all that came out of it was those parental warning stickers, explicit language. But they they were outraged at the time, or at least feigned outrage at the time, because they were, of course, the left. And it was the right who was all uptight. It was the right who was all uptight. Well, it wasn't the right that was all uptight. It was Tipper Gore who was all uptight. 1985 is when this happened. By 1992, the PMRC was all but forgotten, and Tipper Gore and Al Gore got a pass in 92 and 96, and in 2000. They just let it slide. Hey, they're on our team. Ah, you went a little nuts. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? So, yeah, congratulations to the PMRC and uh, it, proving even way back then that it was good to be a Democrat. You'd get away with anything. Speaking of being able to get away with anything, no matter how stupid it is, no matter how destructive it is, the Atlantic magazine. I'm telling you, this is, the, this is what passes for sports on the left. So much of, if not all, of sports journalism is done by people who hate sports. Just is. That's my statement. I've been saying it for a long time. I'm sticking to it because it's true. The Atlantic Magazine, they have a piece on sports. This is their sports. Separating sports by sex doesn't make sense. That's the headline. Subheadline, those schools, tip, uh, school sports are typically sex-segregated. Sex a new generation of kids isn't content to compete within traditional structures. There is no new generation of kids. These are their parents. These are their virtue-signaling left-wing idiotic parents. Kids don't care. Kids, here, uh, you just think of it this way. If you wanted to base it all on merit and get rid of gender, there wouldn't be a single girl playing really anywhere, or at least uh, to any degree that it mattered. There just wouldn't be. Oh, my God. How, however horrible am I to say that? Well, it's true. It's true. Point out the woman who dominates men's sports. I'm sorry, the trans man who dominates trans sports. Are there any? Now, Snopes did a fact check. This kind of cracked me up because I'd written that column two years ago about why aren't women dominating or even really competing at a high level or being noticed in men's sports if gender doesn't matter, if sex doesn't matter. Uh, Snopes did a fact check. They fact-check what nobody alleged. Their fact-check is, are there no athletes assigned female at birth who transitioned and compete in men's sports? That's not the question. That's not the question. It's the men who then identify as women, who say, no, I'm a woman, who then go and compete in women's sports, dominate those sports. They dominate those sports. That swimmer was dominating the sport. If gender doesn't matter, 
if biology, physical biology doesn't matter, then where would be the crossover? Where's the back? They don't have it. They cite some people who compete. Compete. The claim is, uh, the, their declaration is false. This is false. Oh, no, it's just terrible. It's false, false, false. And then they go and cite people who compete. The highest ranking person that they, I think it was, I'm trying to find it here. Yeah. In 2015, swimmer Schuler, Schuyler, whatever, Baylor, B-A-I-L-A-R, household name, right, was described by his alma mater, Harvard University, as the first openly transgender swimmer to compete on an NCAA Division I men's team, the highest level of intercollegiate athletes. He finished his college years in the top 13% of the breaststroke and the top 15% of the butterfly stroke. You go, oh, wow, that's something. Except when you think about all of the NCAA, <clears throat> that's thousands of swimming athletes. The number of schools has got to be hundreds of schools with a swimming program. That would mean that uh, each school, if they just had five or ten swimmers you're going to get well over a thousand and then you get into the top 13 or top 15 percent it sounds really impressive if there are five swimmers there are five swimmers congratulations you're you're on the podium if there are hundreds or thousands of swimmers you're an also ran you never come anywhere close to it so it's again it's the dominating leah thomas wins Leah Thomas wins by like more than a minute, by a couple of laps in the pool in some t- some cases. That's dominating. It's not just beating. It's not it's not finishing in the top 20%. It's dominating. That's the difference. Where are the <clears throat> trans men dominating in men's sports? Where is the trans woman who can hit a 92-mile-an-hour curveball or a 100-mile-an-hour fastball. Where is it? Where is the trans man who can throw one of those pitches? Where is the trans man who could play linebacker or wide receiver or running back or any of the any position on a football team aside from punter or kicker, which, you know, realistically on an average day, a 12-year-old could play if they got the leg for it. The, not, the kickers, when you, there's nothing funnier than watching a punter try to tackle. There's nothing funnier than watching that. It's even funnier than watching a quarterback try to tackle. But if you watch a punter try to tackle, it's hilarious. So anybody, nobody expects that. Maybe they trip the guy, maybe they don't. But otherwise, nobody expects anything from them. So maybe that. But where are they? Where are the women have legs, last I checked? Women have legs. Where are they in the kicking game in professional football? They're not there. Why? Because while you can maybe find a woman eventually, like last year they had that Division One girl who uh, she, she eventually kicked an extra point or something like that because the team's kicker was hurt. And they celebrated like she just cured cancer. Oh, my God. Uh, she couldn't kick a 40-yard field goal to save her life and make it in the NFL, you need to be able to kick a a 60 to 65-yard field goal with a a pretty decent shot of making it, right? Where are the women to do that? I have no doubt that eventually one will come along. But one, 
will come along. Not, not going to have parity, but the left will insist that it's all the same. It's all the same. Oh, see, women compete in men's sports. Yeah, they do. How about in Greco-Roman wrestling? Any trans men dominating there? Huh? No. Weightlifting, any trans men? Because I can point out trans women who are dominating the deadlift. Are there any trans men dominating the deadlift? Are there any of them finishing in the top 13%? No? Weird, don't you think? Anyway, the Atlantic, back to this stupidity. Shira Mendelis, who the hell knows, M-A-N-D-E-L-Z-I-S, fell in love with flag football while playing on her middle school team. An avid snowboarder and all-around athletic kid, she loved the energy she felt while on the field and the camaraderie engendered by the intense physical game. So last summer, she headed uh, to her junior year at Riverdale County School in the Bronx. Mandela's is uh, decided to sign up for football. She would be the only girl, but it was a no-cut, no-tryout team. So she figured the worst she'd have to deal with would be uh, not feeling welcomed by the team. Instead, she'd soon, uh, soon after she'd filled out the enrollment form, Riverdale's athletic director reached out uh, about a specific requirement she would have to meet in order to join the team. Because Mandelize is a girl trying to join a boys' team, she had to abide by a set of mixed-gender sports regulations that the New York State Education Department passed back in 1985. They refer to 1985 as if it's the Dark Ages. These rules, which were developed in part to protect girls from harm during competition, required that Mandelize submit a record of her past performance in physical education classes, a doctor's physical documenting her medical history, an assessment of her body type, height, weight, joint structure, and sexual maturity level, breasts, pubic hair development uh, measured according to a medical guideline known as the Tanner Scale. Once she passed a fitness test, including a one-mile run, sprints, push-ups, and curls, uh, she sent her scores to a closed-door panel, including a physical education staff, other administration officials, blah, 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 consulting physician. The panel then set out to determine whether she was essentially strong, developed, and athletic enough to play a contact sport with boys, even though those boys needed to prove no such thing. You know why? Because, I mean, maybe she could be built like a brick uh, toilet house, whatever. But a even a 180-pound girl, the odds of her being just solid muscle are pretty slim. So more than likely, especially if she's physically fit, maybe a 110, 120-pound girl, going across the middle against a linebacker that's 180 pounds and solid muscle uh, and doing well in a tackle collision. I talked to my dad this weekend. Nobody, there's no tackling in the NFL anymore. There's no tackling in college football anymore. It is, here comes somebody with the ball. You're the defenseman. Just throw your body at them. Launch yourself at them and, and try to knock the hell out of them. Knock them down and, uh, and knock the ball loose, maybe. Maybe you knock their brain loose, too. You can cuss them. But the objective is to punish them. A 110-pound girl going across the middle with the ball is going to get killed. Or, or the guy's going to go... 
I don't know. I'm going to try and just tack Tripper up. I don't want to do that. It's going to change the game fundamentally. And a, a running back, a 200-pound running back going across the middle, going up the middle, against a 120-pound girl, she's just going to bounce off him. She's going to get hurt. So, yes, you've got to make sure that somebody can do that. If it's a no-cut team, what would you do if a dwarf or little person or whatever you're supposed to say wants to go out for the team? And you have a rule. Everybody, if you're out for the team, if you're on the team, everybody gets to play. Well, what do you do? What do you do? You're going to kill this person or it's going to pollute the game so much so that it will be unrecognizable when this person's in for their place. You know what I'm saying? It's not cruel. I'm not being cruel. I'm not saying, oh, my God, ban them, beat them. They're horrible weirdos. Look at them. Look at them. Look at them. But at a certain point, you do have to acknowledge reality, do you not? That you go, okay, you can have the desire all you want. And if you want to do it, if you want to do it, fine. But know that you're going to get hurt or there's a high probability that you're going to get hurt. And as long as you acknowledge that, people are going to go easy on you. But then sooner or later, somebody's going to forget that there's going easy on you and they're going to hit you the way they hit everybody else. That's going to hurt you. You might not get up. To the left, they want to live in a world where there is no difference between men and women, girls and boys, nothing whatsoever. Why? Because they're insane and they want to fundamentally remake society. And plus, they also want to make sure that you obey. They want they love changing the rules in a new way. You can't say that. Well, I just said it yesterday and it was fine. You just said it yesterday. No, today it's a hate crime. All right. Well, uh, what do I have to say then? Sadly, there are so many Americans who just go right along with it. I will obey you. I will obey you. They flex that muscle. And if they can start getting control over what you say and how you speak, the rest of it is really just elementary. The rest of it is easy. The rest of it is a tap and putt. Obey with what the government says. Hey, don't leave your house. There's a pandemic. Don't go anywhere. You're only allowed to go to the grocery store. You can't buy seeds. You can't buy child car seats. We've determined that you don't really need those. You can just buy food and then go home. You can see how obedience is beaten into people, bred into people. It starts here. It continues here. It's wildly dangerous and incredibly stupid. So the Atlantic continues. Decades of research have shown that sex is far more complex than we may think. No, it's really not. And though sex differences in sports show advantages for men, research today, researchers today still don't know how much of this is to attribute to uh, biological differences versus the lack of support provided to women athletes to reach their highest potential. <laughs> now, I love that. No, it's uh, the only reason that men are bigger, stronger, and everything is sexism. It's not biology. God created everybody exactly physically the same. Well, then where are the women kicking butt in anything? Because I promise you that I could, I suck at basketball. And I don't know, you know, a good basketball player versus a bad basketball player, but I'm fairly confident that I could feel the team, but you give me a day to drive around on a nice day drive around various neighborhoods and find the basketball courts, I could field a team that could beat the WNBA All-Star team. It could. They could. Now, would it be a blowout? No. But it'd be, uh, it would, wouldn't be all that close either. I promise you that. 
Now, if you take the best men in the NBA and put them against the WNBA, it would not be close. It would be a blowout. It would be uh, <clears throat> it'd be one of those things like when a little kid scores on their parent for the first time without their parent letting them do it. Like, whoa, look at that. Look at that. High five. A real genuine high five rather than a, okay, you made it. High five. Good job. Uh, it would be that. It would be, you know, if you played to 100, it would be like 100 to 15 maybe. I'm being generous with the 15 because men are that much better at it. Michael Jordan could come out of retirement and dominate the WNBA if he identified as a woman. That's just the way it is. But to sit there and say, well, if girls had been nurtured from the very beginning, there are girls who have been nurtured from the very beginning. There are really good girls teams. The best of the boys play on the advanced teams, the best teams, the travel teams, the whatever teams. The best of the girls play on that same sort of level amongst the best of the girls. They're still not anywhere nearly as good as the boys. The women's U.S. soccer team lost a game to a high school team from Texas. Now think about that. It was one high school in Texas that fielded a team of boys that beat them. It was like five to two or five to three. It wasn't even all that close for soccer. But the women's team was made up of the best in the country. The best in the country. That boys soccer team was made up of the boys who were interested in playing soccer at that school. Interested. Now, some of them, maybe a couple of them would be, you know, best in the county, best in the state. But that's not necessarily best in the country. It's certainly not a majority of the team best in the country. Yet the women's team was made up of the best in the entire country. And they got their rear ends handed to them. So if you want to destroy women's sports, if you want no woman to ever, no girl to ever get a college scholarship, then please, by all means, get rid of all gender differences. Do it. Just get rid of them. That's just do the whole thing. Uh, it'll be a disaster for women, but it'll be a wonderful goal for, for equality. And then they'll start doing what? They'll start whining about equity. And a lack of equity. How would there be a lack of equity? Because equity is about the outcome. And then they'd have to say, all right, now we need we need one type of sport where boys and girls and men and women compete against each other. Okay, you got it. Now the men are dominating. Men are everywhere. Women aren't even making the team because merit matters in sports. And that's what they're really going after because then the next step is to say, well, there aren't enough women. There's not enough representation of women. Women are half the country. We need women to be half the league. We need women to be half the people finish crossing the finish line. You go, no, no, no. They they haven't earned a spot. It is not good. They're not good enough. No, 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 no. You don't get it. Equity. We need equity. And then what you have done is effectively destroy the sports. You can't come out and say you want to destroy the sports. You have to just destroy sports. And that's what this is all about. I promise you. I promise you. Quote, science is increasingly showing how sex is dynamic. It has multiple aspects and also shifts. For example, social experiences can actually change level of sex-related hormones like testosterone in our bodies. 
in a second-to-second and month-by-month way. Siri Van Andrews, the research chair at the Social Neurodocin-Scientology-whatever at Queen's University in Ontario, told me by email. Gee, you mean somebody whose very job depends on this sort of BS found this sort of BS? Huh, who knew? (laughs) It's a shock, isn't it? She said, really, is she? I guess. She said that this complexity means it doesn't make sense to separate sports by sex in order to protect women athletes from getting hurt. Now, if you have girls and you have boys, we have, where the hell were we? We were someplace recently where, somewhere where there were boys and there were girls. There's a party and then we're someplace else. The boys are just wildly self-destructive. The boys are just wild. The boys are just, I'm going to throw myself, I'm going to run as fast as I can and dive into whatever that is and we'll see what happens. Whereas girls are like, I don't know that I want to jump. I don't know that I want to run. I don't know that I want to jump into that. I'm not really sure. They're much smarter. There's nothing as destructive as a young boy. Now, kids are destructive in and of themselves, but the idea of just hurling themselves towards something is nuts. Some girls, the youngest daughter, Bailey, has this little bit of daredevil in her. But nothing like a boy I've seen where they're like, you know what? I wonder what will happen if I somersault down this flight of stairs. Well, I, I, I can tell you. So, okay, there you go. They just keep them going. There's no difference. I would never in a million years let my girls compete against boys. They wouldn't ever play. And I wouldn't want them out there sucking. And what what lesson would they learn if they were out there because, well, you've got to get your playtime. You're a girl. Go ahead on out there. All right. Let her touch the ball for a second. All right. Now you got it. Now kick it. Now pass it. Come on. Let's go. All right. Yay. Good job. Come on. No. They'd have a chance to thrive against girls. Quote, if safety was a concern, this is that doctor, research professor, if safety was a concern and there was evidence to select certain bodily characteristics to base safety cutoffs on, then you would see, say, shorter men excluded from competing with taller men or lighter women competing uh, from competing with heavier women across sports. That's stupid. Uh, We don't have to have those things. Lighter men don't make it. In foot, there are a lot of men out there who I'm sure they're fast, they're squirrely, and sometimes some of them do make it in the pros for a while. They're fast, they're just able to move around, they're very mobile, and they can cut across. They make good wide receivers. Think about a lot of really small wide receivers, not the big beefy dudes. They are utility players, they're helpful, they're in there on third down situations or uh, Hail Mary situations or whatever. They're out there. They're not very many, but you won't find many 100-pound men out there. But you also won't find many 100-pound men going, I want to, I deserve to be out there. Put me out there. Because they get clobbered. It's that simple. So you don't need to create rules protecting people. Reality protects people. You get clocked going across the middle a couple of times and you go, oh, God, that hurt. Or you break a bone or something. You can cut, And you go, all right, I'm not made for this. I can love it all I want. I'm not made for it. But these people, they want to deny biological reality in every possible sense. Why? 
because they're leftists and it's really ultimately about ruining things people like and gaining control over society, period, end of story. So as we start to ramp it up for you today, I just, I, this, this article is very long. It is, uh, well, it's not as long as it is boring, I guess I should say. It just reads like it's long. I just love how these people are like, hey, you know what? Boys and girls should be able to compete against each other. You know, if a girl is good enough and a girl wants to do it, she can go out for the boys team. That's fine. Uh, Nothing stopping them, except for the fact that some parents don't want to see their kids embarrassed, humiliated. Like, again, you find me the girl who can hit a 92-mile-an-hour curveball, and I bet you the world will beat a path to your door. Under these circumstances in this society today, hell, if a junior in high school could hit an 80-mile-an-hour curveball, Pro scouts would be showing up going, well, maybe we should uh, draft this girl because this is something to behold. It, it just, all you got, you you get the benefit of the doubt. You get the special treatment. You you fit the mold, the woke. I mean, for God's sakes, most baseball teams have like Pride Month uniforms and things like that. And they do trans awareness days at the ball. You think athletes really give a damn about that? No, they don't. They're not down with that. and when But when the uh, rare athletes go, you know what? I'm not interested in where I don't want to wear the rainbow patch. I'm sorry. I, I, I'm not going to play that game. I'm not in political correctness or it violates my religious beliefs. What does this so-called sports media do? Why is it that these people are so intolerant? What are they so afraid of? Are they closeted homosexuals themselves? Like, no, maybe they just don't want to wear it. Maybe they don't want to wear it. All right. You give them a, it's it's Republican Day and you put an elephant on the uniform. I bet you those guys probably don't want to wear that either. I guarantee you a whole bunch of players would go, no, 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 don't put it in there. I'd catch hell. I'd never hear the end of it. My uh, autograph fees for the off season would drop significantly. There's no way, no how. Now you want to put a donkey on there, we can talk, but uh, please don't. Because how many times do you see, how much hell did Tom Brady catch? Because he had a Make America Great Again hat in his in his locker one day. There's still, if Tom Brady does anything, makes any news whatsoever, there are still leftist weirdos out there who will treat that photograph and go, look, he's a MAGA guy, so he's a, obviously a terrorist. Now he's a, he's a terrorist to secondaries across the NFL, or the NHL. NFL, sorry. But that's about it. That's what he is. He's a terrorist to them. But are you kidding me? Get over yourselves. People are allowed to disagree with you. This is about stamping out disagreement by ingraining obedience in every aspect of society where it can possibly be beaten into. Period. End of story. Regulations, the Atlantic writes, like the ones Mendeley's encountered in the Bronx, don't affect girls alone. Colin Ives, who graduated from Hackley School in Terrytown, New York, this year, quote, basically had field hockey a stick in my a stick in my hand for my whole life. He told me on Zoom. His mom, Jenny Leffler, different names, all right, is an English teacher and field hockey coach at the school. So Ives grew up attending practices and games and took to the sport. Around the world, field hockey is mostly played by men, but here in the U.S. it's typically seen as a girl's sport. It's a stupid waste of time. It's running around a field, hitting a ball on the ground with a stick. Okay. 
So Ives had to go through the same New York State mixed gender competition rules to get on the team. He was approved by his school's panel to play during his freshman and sophomore years. The pandemic canceled his junior season. Thanks, Democrats. But last year, Ives went through the process just days before the first league game. His head of school informed Leffler that Eves was not allowed to play. Hackler had approved his petition to play, but the other private schools that make up their Ivy Preparatory League, which Hackler is a part of, vowed not to allow Ives to play. See, the other girls didn't want to compete against a boy. It's not... It's not this scream from society that goes, we must have equity, we must all be the same. Give us our our Logan's Run unitards and let us all cut our hair the same style. No. It is a few loud leftist pains in the ass who want to impose their will on everybody else while screaming in the faces of people, this is what democracy looks like. That's who they are, that's what they are, that's what they do. I want my way. I will force my way upon you. They are the verbal equivalent of a date rapist. That's it. They are the political, social, societal equivalent of a date rapist. They force their way on everybody. They force themselves on anything. A distinct minority demand absolute accommodation to everybody. And it's not just accommodation. Okay, you want to wear a dress? Go ahead and wear a dress, dude. I don't care. It's no You must compliment me on how pretty my dress is and take me to prom. And if you don't want to date me, you're a transphobe. All right? Period. That's it. Well, okay, boys across the country, here's your chance now as this, if this garbage picks up even more. College is expensive, as we know. If you want to go to college... You can either work and save money, you can take out loans and pay for it, or you can get a scholarship. You can either get an academic scholarship, or uh, let's be honest, you listen to this show, you're probably not going to get an academic scholarship. (laughs) Just mostly kidding. So what you do is you find whatever school you go to, whatever school you want to go to, they're going to have some big woman's sport, whatever it is. It's swimming, it's wrestling, it's lacrosse, it's field hockey, it's whatever it is. Find out what it is and then start competing in that and insist that you want to be on the girls team, either because there is no boys team or because sometimes you feel like a girl, sometimes you feel like a nut, sometimes you don't. Get out there and earn a college scholarship. Demand that you're just say that you're trans. Who cares? You're trans, but you're gay. So it's all right. You're, you're just the same as you are. And so you're or you're pansexual or you're asexual or whatever the hell it is that you, you're non-binary. Just make it up. Everybody has to accept it nowadays or it's a hate crime. Just make it up and demand that whatever it is you identify as says you get to go out for the girls team. Then dominate on the girls team. Dominate. Bust your ass to dominate. It'll be easier. Then start applying for college scholarships. Get to those college recruiters who will inevitably be there for these uh, girls and say, hey, you know what, I'm a girl too. Or I'm a non, I'm a whatever. And so I'm eligible and demand it and get a scholarship that way. And once you start taking away the scholarships from the women and really, really getting into gutting Title IX, 
then you're really going to, maybe that's what it'll take to get these feminists to fully wake up. Right now, some feminists are going, this is garbage. There's a lot of them, actually, who recognize this as garbage and a threat to women. And there are others who insist, no, this is the greatest thing in the world. Well, bring it home to roost. Start taking their daughter's Ivy League legacies, sports scholarships away from them and see how suddenly they begin to recognize and wake up and go, hey, look, a penis. That's a guy. Get him off the field. It'll be quick. It won't be pretty. Anyway, that's enough for today, I think, don't you? Don't worry, though. In just a few short 24-hour, 23-hour periods, we'll be back to do it all over again. What will we talk about then? It's a mystery. You're going to have to tune in to find out. Thanks for listening.